Uh, March 2019, there was one of those huge tornadoes. It was an F, category F4 tornado that, that blew through uh, rural Alabama. There were millions of dollars of property damage. Yes, there is millions of dollars of property in rural Alabama. There was millions of dollars of property damage. 90 people were hospitalized. 23 people lost their life. Of course, whenever one of these tornadoes goes through, the media shows all these pictures of the devastation. There is one picture that, that stood out to me uh, in this tornado. There's this one house, this single house, where there's this devastation all around. Uh, can we show that picture? Uh, there's devastation all around, except there's this single house that somehow remarkably standing strong, unfazed. I think that is what the picture of the Christian life is supposed to be like. Now, I know it'd be a lot easier for us to be like that house if we didn't have storms. If there was no tornadoes, if there was no difficulties, man, it'd be easy for us to stand strong, right? I mean, if we could control everything in our life, we'd be pretty good, right? We'd all be pretty good. But what I've learned and what all of us will learn sooner or later is uh, that the control that we try and hold on to in our lives is an illusion, Control is an illusion because we live in a fallen world, which means every one of us, we are impacted by our own sin and by the sin of other people. And because of that, we know we go through hard times. We go through storms of life. Good things even happen. Bad things happen to good people. I mean, just look at the story of Job. I mean, we see this being a reality. In our life, we know uh, we know this is what happens. We know that health suffers. We know that things break. We know that people die. We know that relationships struggle. We talk about this on a regular basis. This is reality of life. In fact, there's a Christian counselor, an author by the name of uh, Norman Wright. And this is what he said. He said, their journey through life is a series of crises. Some are predictable and expected, and some are total surprises. That's pretty accurate. To life, am I right? And maybe we call them storms of life. Maybe we call them crises, uh, unexpected situations. Maybe you call them getting in over your head. But the question is, how do we respond in those situations? How do we respond? Now, all of us, we're all optimists. We all think we're really good. And so we all would say, well, if that was me, I'd be like that house. I'd be standing strong. Everything around me might be falling down, but I'd be strong. My faith would be confident. I'd be good. But again, one of the things I've learned is that's not our human nature. Our human nature is when those things go wrong is we freak out, right? I mean, that is our human nature. We respond to those unexpected or even expected circumstances. We respond with, with stress, anxiety, and fear, and worry, and let's be honest, those things can be debilitating to us, right? You begin to struggle with fear and worry and anxiety. You can't sleep at night. Sometimes you start, uh, find it hard, hard to focus. Sometimes you might even respond with a little bit of anger or irritation to the people around you. This is what happens when we deal with that worry and anxiety, that fear. And this is rampant in all society. Every one of us will be touched by this in some capacity. In fact, I, I saw this past week that in the season of COVID, this 
pandemic that we've been in for a year and a half now, 40% of Americans, two out of every five of us, are dealing with symptoms of an anxiety disorder. It is rampant. So I want to ask you this morning, which area of your life, which area of your life are you feeling that stress, that worry, that anxiety, that fear? What is it for you? Is it the future that you don't know what's going to happen? Is it in terms of your family? Is it over your job? Is it over your finances? Is it over, over your health? Is it over this pandemic that just continues to rage on? I'll tell you my story of freaking out, of dealing with stress. And don't you dare judge me, because you have your area too. But here's my area. Here's what it looked like for me. Easter 2020 was, was a hard season of life, right? Easter 2020, the pandemic was like a new thing. And, and the government said, hey, you shouldn't meet as a church. And so we said, okay, we'll figure this out. We'll do online church. And we thought online church would be a week or two. But it continued on, and so we did Easter online. Now, you may know this about me. I, I love our church. I love Restoration Church. I love what God is doing here. And so I was trying to figure out, well, how do we make Easter special for the church? How do we still make Easter a thing that people could invite others to, to join us online? And how do we make this special? And so we did a ton of work, and I, I give a lot of credit to my wife. She did more than I did because she's amazing. Well, we did a ton of work putting all this stuff together. We had uh, a, a bunch of families with their kids like tell the Easter story. And we made this really cute Easter video uh, that was just amazing. We did, this, we did this online choir where we brought all these different voices in to sing a song together. And we did this online choir. It was really cool. It was a lot of, a lot of work. And then I got up on a couple of mornings at sunrise. It took me a couple of times to battle the wind, to try and record my message at sunrise with a cross behind me. Really cool. But on the backside of it, there's a lot of work that goes into making those things happen. And it got to the point where on Saturday night, we got it done. Everything was done. We uploaded the video to Facebook. And all that had to happen was Facebook was going to make it go live at 10 o'clock or whatever time it happened to be. And we're like, we're done. This is sweet. Now we get to celebrate. Well, as we had moved our services to Facebook, so had every other church out there. And Facebook found we can't keep up with the demand of churches going online. And so in the middle of our service, as we put all this work into it, the middle of the service, and there's, there's tons of people watching this video, and I'm so excited, it all crashed. There was no more video. It just stopped. People are like, we lost it. We don't know what to do. Where does it go? What's going on? And my stress went up through the roof. My heart was beating as fast as it could. I had some frustration and some, some anger. There was this inner turmoil over all we were trying to do, and Facebook caused it to crash. I'll be honest, <laughs> my confession, I was, not, I was not walking in the Spirit that morning. I'll be honest with you there. What's that look like for you? The area where you deal with that stress that anxiety, that worry, that fear, that frustration. This morning, we, we're going to be in a couple of different passages, Mark chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12. Uh, we've been in this series for a couple of weeks now on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the series is all about when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are walking with God, when we are abiding in Him, that there are certain fruit 
or characteristics that define our life. And what's been so surprising about the fruit of the Spirit is they're not the things that most of us would think. It's not our morality that we're known for. It's not our theology and our ability to argue our theology with other people that show how mature we are. Actually, when you are walking in the Spirit and abiding in God, there becomes these characteristics, these character things that define you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That these things become increasingly present and known to the people around us in our life. And that is what it looks like for us to be mature and to walk with God. The last couple of weeks, we've had the chance to talk about love and joy. And today, we get to talk about peace. Now, peace is something I say with most of us, we, 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 we long for, right? We want peace in our lives. In fact, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he told his disciples and he told us in John chapter 14, he said, peace I give to you. He said, my peace I'm giving to you. Now, what's interesting, though, is, is we have to understand what peace is. Because in the original text, peace is more than just living without any conflict. Peace is not just having a nice, easy life. This peace that Jesus says in John 14 uh, is a calmness that a nation or a city would enjoy when they have a, a caring, competent, and secure leader. So in fact, here's how we would define this idea of what peace is. Peace is having a calmness, a tranquility in our heart that originates from understanding that our life is truly in the hands of God. That is what peace is. This calmness of knowing that our lives no matter what we're going through, is in the hands of God. And so today we're going to have this conversation that as we face the storms of this life, when the crap hits a fan, when we go through hard stuff, how do we experience peace instead of the anxiety and the worry, the fear that is so natural to us? And that is our conversation for today. And these two texts we're going to look at, one text is going to show our human nature that we freak out when we face storms of this life. And the second text is going to be that picture that we showed earlier of what it looks like to be the house standing and having peace and calm with a storm raging all around us. Our first text is in Mark chapter 4. This is early in Jesus' ministry. He's called his disciples to follow him. And the disciples have had a pretty exciting day. I mean, Jesus, as he was going around with his message of, of grace and love and peace and repentance, it rubbed the religious leaders wrong, right? So the religious leaders, they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, you're being controlled by demons. That's how you do all this stuff. And Jesus is like, all right, whatever. And then after the, the religious leaders come, then Jesus' mom and his brothers they come. They think, they think he's crazy. They think, they think he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And so Jesus' own mom and brothers come and try and kidnap him to take him away. And that's unsuccessful. And then after this, again, the disciples get to watch all this happening. Then thousands of people come and they find Jesus and they want to hear his teaching. They want to see him perform the miracles. And it gets to the end of the day. It's been a long day. There's been a lot of things happening. And so in our text, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, When evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, Let's go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him in a boat, and the other boats were with them. Jesus' disciples, many of them had been experienced fishermen. They were comfortable on the water. 
And so you got to picture these disciples, like they've had this really busy full day, and they're like, this is great. Now we get to go take this sunset cruise on the lake with Jesus? This is going to be wonderful. But that's not what happens, because in verse 37, it says a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking over the boat, filling the boat with water. Now, isn't that how life works? Isn't that how life works? Where things are going good, we're like, man, this is great. And then all of a sudden, the storm comes. All of a sudden, it feels like the boat's filling with water. It feels like we're sinking. All of a sudden, it feels like everything's falling apart. Is that not how life works? Things are good. And then we find out that our company's been sold and we're going to lose our job. We begin to worry. Well, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to keep a roof over our head? Or this becomes where things are going good, and then you notice my spouse is a little distant. And, you know, we, we seem to always be arguing. And then your spouse comes and says, you know what, I don't want to be married anymore. Or this is when things are going good, and then your kids start going down a path that you're like, man, this is not the path for you to go down. This is not where you want to go. This is the turmoil, the storm of life. This is when the doctor calls and says, hey, are you sitting down? Because I got to tell you something. This is when you have a pandemic, and I'm not talking about a virus. I'm talking about the animosity and the division that the pandemic has brought, how it continues to rage on and on and on. These are the storms of this life, the difficult things that we go through. And here's the middle of the storm. Look what Jesus is doing. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And the disciples, they woke him. Now, I get to that point, and I'm like, oh, those disciples, they're so godly. Look at them in the middle of the storm. They're doing exactly what they should do. They're calling out to Jesus. But that's not exactly what's happening because look what the rest of that verse says. Verse 38, they woke him and said, Teacher, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? No, see, these disciples, they don't have any peace. No, they're freaking out. They're, they're like, they, they don't believe that Jesus is in control of the situation. They're losing it. They're saying, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. Don't you care? They're, they're losing it. But look how Jesus responds. Look at the calmness of Jesus' response. Verse 39, it says, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, the disciples' response to the storm that they were going through, they responded with fear. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Why are you so afraid? The storm, the difficulty comes, and the disciples do exactly what many of us do, that we forget that God is in control. That instead of having our eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm, we put our eyes on the circumstances and the difficulty and the hardship we're in. And we no longer are looking to God. Now we're only looking at those circumstances. And the result of that is when fear comes in, the anxiety, the worry, those difficult things. See, one of the things we have to understand is anxiety and fear cannot coexist with peace. These two things, anxiety, fear, worry, they cannot coexist with peace. Because when we are filled with worry and anxiety and fear, you know what it does? It robs us of our joy. It steals our peace. It takes away our contentment. It robs us of our confidence and our energy. 
When we're filled with anxiety and fear and, and worry, man, these things begin to affect us so badly they attack our health, begin to destroy our relationships. And if left on their own, might even come to the point they mortally wound our faith. So I'm asking us this morning, can we be honest? Can we be honest and acknowledge the areas of our life that we're dealing with stress and anxiety and worry and fear? Can we acknowledge that these are real things in our lives? Because I tell you what, if we can do that, there's hope. If we can acknowledge these things are real, there's hope for us that we don't have to live a life filled with fear and anxiety. Because we get to turn ahead a few pages to Acts chapter 12. See, in Acts chapter 12, it's going to be a, a story about Peter. Now, Peter was one of those disciples in the boat who was freaking out in the storm. And in Acts chapter 12, Peter finds himself in another storm. He's been arrested because of his faith. He's going to have to go before uh, the wicked King Herod. He's facing some very challenging circumstances. And here's what it says in verse 6. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. It says, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was, what was he doing? Sleeping. He was sleeping between two soldiers bound by two chains with sentries guarding the door. Do you hear that? In the middle of the mess he finds himself in. Here's this mess, right? He's got two guards. These are guys with tattoos on their arm that smell like beef and cheese and live on a throne of lies. Like he's got these guys with guns sleeping right next to him. And what is he doing? He's sleeping. He has peace. He's the picture of that house standing calm in the middle of the storm. See, that is what I want for you. That is what I want for, that's what I want for us. That we would have that kind of peace. That no matter whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we want to be overwhelmed with that fear, anxiety, and worry about that we could have peace. And now the question then becomes, well, how do we get from Mark 4 to, to Acts 12? How do we go from Peter, Peter freaking out on the boat to being able to sleep and have peace in the calm of the storm? So we've got to turn back to, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 40 says, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now I read that and I hear those words and it almost sounds like Jesus is a little bit annoyed with them, right? Do you still have no faith? See, Jesus, he is a little annoyed. He's not annoyed that they woke him up in the middle of the night like I'd be. He's annoyed because they doubted his care. He says, do you still not have faith? He's saying, disciples, I want you to think about all you've seen me do, all you, all you know about me. I mean, I mean, think about all the things the disciples have seen Jesus do already. They've seen him heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, walk on water, multiply fish and bread. They've seen him do all these things. And here's Jesus saying, do you still not have faith? Do you still not believe that I'm in control of the storm? You still not believe that I'm bigger than the storm you're facing? Do you still not have faith? This is how Peter goes from Mark chapter 4 to Acts chapter 12. Because of his faith. 
Now the question then becomes, well, what did he put his faith in? Good question. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is it's, it's just amazing. Like it is a constant source of, of information and knowledge. And so even as a pastor, this week I saw something I'd never seen before. And this is what the Word of God does. The Apostle Paul is a, the greatest church planter who ever lived. The Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote Bible. Anybody else in here write Bible? I've never done that. Paul, Paul's pretty amazing. Paul wrote 13 letters that we call books in the New Testament. He wrote 13 letters to the churches that he had planted and to some of the leaders of those churches. Listen, in every one of those letters, every single one of them, I wrote them up here, you can see it. He writes and says, grace and peace to you. And it is always in that order. Never does he say peace and grace to you. It is always grace and then peace. Began to wonder, well, why? Why does Peter do that? What, excuse me, why does Paul do that? Why does he always say grace and then peace? See, it's almost as if he's saying, you can't experience peace until you experience the grace of God through salvation. You've got to experience grace before you experience peace. I mean, this is where we look at Jesus. Like, we, we love his teaching. His teaching is amazing. We love his miracles and the things he did. It's amazing. But those things do not make him our Savior. The fact that Jesus went to the cross and took our sin upon himself, the fact that he suffered and died in our place and then rose again on the third day, defeating sin and Satan and death and hell, and that's what makes him different. That's what makes him our Savior. The fact that Jesus rose to heaven uh, and promised to return to usher us into his kingdom. The new heaven and new, new earth, where he'll right all the wrongs, where he'll make everything right. The place that there'll be more, no more pain, no more storms, no more crying, no more tears, no more hardship. Like Jesus has done all this for us. And here, Peter, he had the chance to see this all unfold. Peter watched Jesus get arrested. Remember that story where, 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 Jesus, where Jesus is arrested and Peter is watching? Peter watches as Jesus goes on to trial and Peter denies Jesus three times when he needed him most. Yet Peter continued to watch Jesus suffer on the cross and die and be put in the tomb. And three days later, he gets to see the resurrected Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to him? Was he mad at him? You failure? You denied me? Why would you? No, 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 no. Now, Jesus extended him grace. He said, I forgive you. Now go feed my sheep. I forgot where I'm at. Here we go. Peter had, experience, Peter had to experience the grace of God before, before he could experience the peace of God. And see, here we might find ourselves in the middle of the storms of this life. We might be in a hardship, a difficult circumstance, and we're afraid. And we're worried. Jesus, my boat is filling with water. Jesus, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to sink. Jesus, don't you care about me? Jesus, don't you care about what I'm going through? Jesus, I thought you offered me peace. And Jesus is saying all the time, yes, look what I've done for you. Look what I've, I, I died for you. I, I've given my life for you. If I've, if I've done that for you, don't you think I know what I'm doing right now? Don't you think that I've got my hand on whatever you're going through? Like, I, I've given my, don't you think I'm going to be in the middle of the storm with you? Jesus would say, what else do I have to do? What else do I have to do to prove to you that I'm for you? 
that I'm working things out for your good and for my glory. Who else has given their life for you? And Jesus would be in that boat with you to say, listen, I've done, I've given you everything for you to have faith in me. The question is, are you going to keep your eyes on your circumstances or will it shift your gaze to me? Where will you, where will you put your attention? You continue looking at your circumstances and how hard they are. Will you finally look to me? See, in Acts chapter 12, Peter finally got it. It was a process. We call that process sanctification, where God continues to grow us and to change us. But as Peter consistently followed Jesus, his faith grew, and God replaced his anxiety with peace. So that in Acts chapter 12, Peter, he's the house standing in the middle of the storm. He's that picture of calm and peace in the middle of everything going on around him. See, here's, here's a big idea for us that we've got to understand. That God will replace our anxiety with peace when we keep our faith in his grace. When we keep our faith, when we keep our eyes, when we keep our trust in what he's done for us, that is when God begins to replace our anxiety and our fear with his peace. And that is how we become the house standing in the middle of the storm with destruction, destruction all around. But you see this house of peace. That is the way that we as Christians are supposed to live. We're in this series on the fruit of the Spirit, right? And we're saying that when we are abiding with God, when we're walking in the Spirit, that these fruit should be evident in our lives. This, this, this love, this joy, this peace. Now, obviously, I, I want to be cautious here because if you're one of those people like me, like many of us, who are saying, man, I'm, I'm kind of lacking some peace. I lack peace in my circumstances. I don't want you to be burdened to feel like you have to do something to try and create peace in your life because the goal is not to make you feel more anxious about creating peace in your life again what i want you to hear is i want you to find hope i want you to find hope because peace is not something that you and i create on our own peace is not something that we can manufacture peace is a gift it is a result of us walking in the spirit and abiding in christ it's a result of us putting our faith continually in the gospel. That's the solution. Now, for those of us that are saying, man, I, I do lack in that peace. I want to grow in this. Philippians chapter 4 has some encouragement for us that might help us to increase our, pay, our, our peace in our life. Two things I want to point out from Philippians chapter 4, just practical things to do. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, uh, Paul writes, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the first thing we have to do, we're going to increase our peace, is we have to focus on gratitude. You know, gratitude is the third most common command in the Bible. I mean, the first command is to fear not. The second command, praise the Lord. The third most common command is for us to be thankful, to have gratitude. 
Because what gratitude does is gratitude takes our eyes off of ourselves, takes our eyes off of our circumstances, and focus, focus requires us to focus on the good that God has given us. See, when we're anxious and worried, our focus isn't on anything good. Our focus is on the bad, whether it's the bad right in front of us or the bad we fear is going to happen. In fact, Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, we all know what worry is. It's when we pay interest on trouble even before the bill comes due. Man, how, how, how real is that for us? Worry is when we pay the interest on the bill before it's even due. We're going to give in to what could happen, what we don't know, but we're going to give in to all the possibilities. And it robs us of, of, of that peace in the present. This is why Isaiah 61, the prophet Isaiah said, put on a garment of praise instead of despair. When we begin to practice gratitude and find ourselves in the middle of whatever we're in, I'm going to find something to be thankful for. You know what it does? It takes our eyes off of the negative and puts it on the positive. Reminds us of the good and the grace that God has given us. So that question for you, if you find yourself in a season where you're lacking peace, then what can you thank God for today? What good thing has God given to you that you can just say, God, I am thankful for this? But the second thing, again, look back at Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes in verse 7, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, Finally, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just and pure and lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. See, the second thing we have to work to do is to think about the good things of God. Because when he says, you know, think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, he's not saying just to think on things that put a smile on our face. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is for us to think about the things that are revealed to us about God in Scripture. The things that are true, oh, God is true. Things that are pure, oh, God is pure. Things, oh, God is lovely. In fact, God is all these things. He, he, he's true. He's honorable. He's right. He's pure. He's lovely. He's admirable. He's excellent. He's praiseworthy. And, and what he's trying to say is, is, is take your eyes off of those things and think about the good of God, the goodness of God. Because if God is good, then we have to understand he's got to be working things out for our good and for his glory. See, Christian peace is not the absence of trouble. Christian peace is all about the presence and the nearness of God. And the presence and nearness of God becomes greater than no matter whatever circumstance we are going through. So where we have to, as Christians, to experience this peace, we can't dwell on the negative thoughts. We've got to turn our attention, our focus, and think about greater thoughts, about who God is, about what he's done for us, about what he's proven for us. So that way he would say to us, in the middle of that, do you still not have faith? After all I've done for you, don't you believe that I'm for you? That I'll walk through the middle of the storm with you? That all I have to do is stand up and say, peace, be still, and it's over. The question is, where will we put our faith? 
Will we put our faith in the grace of God or will we put our faith in our circumstances? Because one of those leads to anxiety and worry and fear and one leads to peace. In fact, I wanted to close with a story this morning. Actually, before I do that, I know that probably for all of us, there's a little bit of a challenge in here today, right? I would say that all of us, to some degree, struggle with this idea of worry, anxiety, fear. Even, though, even the uh, optimists like myself, there's always a sense of, of worry that's somewhere around. And so for many of us, the challenge is simply going to be for us to abide, to focus our gra- on gratitude, to think about the good things. I mean, that's our challenge. That if we're going to experience his peace, we've got to focus and put our faith in his grace. But I also want to recognize that there are some of us where your anxiety your fear. It's just a little bit deeper than that. There are psychological issues at play. And if you're one of those people that you find anxiety and fear and worry, something that you haven't been able to find freedom from, listen, I don't want you to think that this is just something you have to accept and just deal with in your life. I don't think that's what God wants for you. I'd love for you to reach out to me this week. I'd love to help you find some help to get into some counseling, to get into some help so you aren't constantly overwhelmed with that fear and anxiety. So you can experience the freedom that I think can be found through getting some, some help. Now I'll close with my story. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago in the late 1800s. Now he had a family, a wife and four daughters, and they decided we're going to go on a vacation. His wife was from Europe, and so they're like, we're going to go on vacation. We're going to go over to Europe with D.L. Moody and go with him, follow him on the speaking tour as he has a chance to, to preach to different cities throughout Europe. And so they get ready to go, uh, but Horatio found he had some business issues that came up, and so he couldn't go on the trip with his family. So he sends his wife and his daughters on a ship, and they're going to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to go to Europe. While sailing across the ocean, their ship was struck by another ship. And that ship sank within a half an hour. Of the 313 people on board that ship, 226 died, including all four of Horatio's daughters. His wife survived the, the crash, and she was able to send a telegram a week and a half later that said, I survived all alone. Horatio Can you imagine the unbelievable grief that guy would have been dealing with? Can you imagine the storm? And he jumps on a boat. He's going to go over to Europe. He wants to be with his wife. And while they're sailing in that second ship across the spot where his daughters died, he wrote a hymn called It Is Well. And these are the words of what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, in the middle of the most difficult circumstance, most difficult storm of life that any of us could probably ever imagine, he found peace. He found comfort in Christ. And he was able to express his trust in God despite the horrendous circumstances 
That is the peace that God offers us. That is the house standing strong in the middle of the storm, in the middle of destruction all around him. And that is what I want for my life. That is what I want for your life. That is what I want for Restoration Church. Because that's the kind of life that inspires the world around us. Because when they see that house standing strong in the middle of the storm, when we live a life like that, you know what people say? Then what gives that person peace? Because I want it. And when we point to our God and say, my God gives me peace, that is so contagious. That is something that people say, I want that relationship with that Savior. Because if he can give you peace in a time like that, I need that. When we keep our faith in the grace of God and and we give him our anxiety, we experience his peace, we became a witness to the world around us. And this is what God does when we have a relationship with him. And guess what? That's much more appealing than our morality and our theology and our I believe right and you believe wrong. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is not our morality. It's not our politics. It's not our theology. It's all about our character. So let's be people of peace. No matter what's going on around us, that we can experience his peace as we focus on the grace of Jesus. Let's pray.